Hey guys, welcome to the I Hope They Hear This podcast. And today, I hope aspiring entrepreneurs hear this. <laughs> hey guys, welcome to the I, I Hope They Hear This podcast. Um, we have our friend Jonathan back here. Hey. Uh, Jonathan was on one of Actually, you were the very first guest that I had on this podcast. Yeah. When we talked about really. Yeah. That was a long time ago. Yeah. And uh, we had you more recently with the Zealand podcast. Mm-hmm. We were all at your house. Yep. Um, but yeah, we can g- talk about the musical side of your life a little bit. But I, I, today I'm more interested in your the internship sorry not internship the entrepreneurial side of your life ah yeah because um, you are a from what i can tell from what i see you're a serial entrepreneur you uh, by fault <laughs> you do things you start things and yeah you you kind of love casting vision into into the ventures that that you start and um yeah you, I, you just love building things yeah. as far as i can tell yeah, for sure. And so, yeah, let's let's just dive right into it, and we'll go chrono- chronologically. Yeah. Um, and I believe your first venture was a, a bookstore that you started in in college, right? Yeah. 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 So, can you can you tell us about that a little bit? What college was it at, and how did you even think to start this bookstore? Yeah. Um. So, uh, I went to Presbyterian College. It's in uh, South Carolina. It's a liberal arts school, um, biology major, and uh, actually I was, uh, I made friends with some international students and whatnot and, uh, went into biology class the first day mm-hmm. and, uh, the professor said, Hey, you guys got to go get your book, your lab book, and then like some guide or something. And that was just for one class and mm-hmm. obviously four or five classes or something like that. And so, uh, as a good student would, I was like, okay. And went to the bookstore and, uh, for all of the books that I would have needed for that class, it was somewhere like three hundred to three hundred fifty dollars or something like that. Wow. And so I, that's like the textbook, the lab, right? Probably and all that. Okay. And if you, I, I'm assuming all the listeners probably have experienced this. And mm-hmm. if you're not in college, get ready. Like books are really expensive. Yeah. yeah. And so uh, back in that time, uh, it was like before Amazon was big, and so eBay had this thing called Half.com. Mm. I don't know if you remember. Yeah. 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 And so they, they specifically sold books. And so we went on there and found um, the same lab books, same bio books for significantly cheaper. And uh, there were two friends that were um, at Presbyterian College as well. And yeah, all of us sat down. We were like, oh my gosh, these books are super overpriced. Mm. So we all decided we go into our class and we say like, hey, uh, we'll freaking buy books on like half or Amazon. I think back then there was like a books, um, eBay, a whole bunch of different places. Mm-hmm. And we were able to find those books for 30, $40 as opposed to, you know, a hundred, $150. Mm. And we were like, shoot, we'll just sell this for a little bit more and we'll just see what happens. Wow. So well, why didn't any of the other students just do that? Why, why was the bookstore the default when they're like five X the price of what you could get it on online? You, you know what? I, so maybe I'm far enough removed from college that I think is still arcade. I don't know. So back in that time, at least, people weren't really ordering things online as much. So right. we might have hit it in like the golden hour. Mm-hmm. But I mean, if people are still going to the bookstore, like they're 100% overpaying. Yeah. Yeah. But um, I don't know. I don't know why no one else 
did that huh. now, thinking about it yeah okay kind of weird yeah but then you you thought not only to go and save yourself money but because of the huge price differential you you saw a business opportunity oh yeah the the margin i mean i don't know if i can so like one of the years mm-hmm. uh we bought back the biology books that year for a dollar a piece because mm-hmm. a new edition came out but then we talked to the professor and the professor was like uh fine like i'll use the old edition one more year because you guys bought the books wow so you you even got into like talking to the professor yeah. about what editions they would use uh-huh, uh-huh. Wait, wait, so you just uh, kind of described you seeing an opportunity with a right. huge price difference so you, you bought a bunch of it and you said i'll mark it up a tiny bit Yep. Or, or however much you marked it up. Uh, at first, yeah, a tiny bit. <laughs> yeah, and then you would you would sell it to students, right? Yep. So is that kind of the operation you kept or did it change and evolve over time? Yeah, so the first year we just did it kind of with cash on hand mm-hmm. and just we were like, hey, I'm just going to buy books for my class, classmates if you want it. I'll buy it at this price point mm. uh, or I'll sell it I basically to you at this price point. Um, and we actually did really well, like, Almost everybody, if you show up to a class and say, you know, your parents are going to give you money for books or your scholarship gave you money for books and we can get it for you for cheaper so you can have money in your pocket, mm. everyone will take it. All right, yeah. And so uh, we did really well the first mm. year uh, doing that. Um, and then the second semester, actually, we got uh, parents involved. So not my parents. Mm-hmm. Uh, my parents actually didn't know at that time. Uh, <laughs> so my other two friends, their parents came in, co-signed for a loan. And I actually put my car and my guitar, which oh, were wow. the two most prized possessions that I had at the time. So if the bank took your guitar as collateral, it must have been a pretty uh, valuable guitar. Uh, Yeah. So honestly, the parents probably had most of the collateral. Oh, okay. Um, they probably were the reason why the bank gave it to us. Uh, but yeah, we took out a pretty substantial loan when you're thinking about college kids. Um, mm. I mean, I, I guess we could be transparent, right? I don't know. Yeah. I mean, so if you don't mind. Yeah. So uh, we took out a twenty-five thousand dollar loan. Wow. Um, as eighteen, nineteen-year-olds. Wow. Um, and that first year, uh, we did um, a lot. Uh, so with that, uh, we did probably like forty. I forget exactly what the number was, but mm. we 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 had a lot of margin in there. Mm. Uh, so we did really well, and then so the next year we went back to the bank and we said, "Hey, can we get more?" Mm. And uh, they were they were like, "Ah." So we had to kind of co-sign again, put up stuff for collateral. Uh, but by the third semester, we just had a line of credit mm. uh, that was constantly growing, and because our lump sum was basically we buy at the end of a semester um, mm-hmm. and then you have sunk costs that we pay interest on for about a month or two. Mm-hmm. Uh, if it's in the summer, then more like three or four months. Mm-hmm. And then uh, we would pay the bank back and whatever we had on top, we just pocketed. Wow. Uh, and so we did that until my junior year and our actual real bookstore, like the Presbyterian College bookstore, uh, their uh, lease came up. And so we were like, hey, you know what? Like, let's go ahead and just freaking apply for it Mm. because we were doing like a lot of revenue by that point. So you you started this when you were a freshman in college? Yeah, yeah, with two other guys, yeah. And the first two years, so you guys didn't have a physical spot. Were you guys just kind of housing the books Ah, in your dorms or? My goodness. Okay, so uh, (laughs) there were three of us. Uh, One of the guys was actually an RA, so he had a room to himself. Uh And then the other two of us, we roomed together. Mm -hmm. 
And so during the times in between,、mm-hmm. we actually used our dorm room. So we would triple bunk in my friend's room,、mm. and the other room was storage. Wow, because we had that many books, and so、uh, that was one thing. The other th- reason why I think people chose us is we actually delivered the books, and so、mm. instead of having to go to the bookstore, wait in line, all that stuff,、uh, I actually created a e-commerce site back then、uh, on Shopify when it was like just、oh, starting, yeah,、uh-huh. and it was like I think it was like free back then、oh, to、wow. like start something up. And so I created a Shopify account, and、uh, we sold the books online. They would choose a delivery time,、mm-hmm. and then we would go deliver the books straight to your dorm room. Oh wow!、Um, and so, but what about for people who were living off campus? Did you have delivery options for them too? Yeah, yeah. I mean, we were we basically、um, after class would come back, we、mm-hmm. would fill all of the orders. Uh, and then we take an index card and write, you know, whichever room or address、mm-hmm. uh, and time. And then we did times in hourly increments. Okay. And so we would take all the stuff for one hour, go deliver everything, come back, put everything together, go do the next one, and then we would do that.、Um, and then you know we would just start getting creative.、Mm. Uh, by, I remember like we had some friends who were like, oh, you should do some like guerrilla marketing. You're like, okay, whatever. And then we come out to the campus the next day in、uh-huh. a small school. There's like chalk. On the sidewalks everywhere, right, and it's、yeah. like my friend's bookstore, which is what it was called.、Oh. My friend's bookstore. Go get your books for like you know X percent cheaper and、uh-huh. stuff like that.、Oh. Um, but because we didn't have a physical location,、mm-hmm. because we weren't paying anyone's salary, because none of that was a thing,、uh, we could always beat the bookstore's price. Right. So、uh, over time, they would notice what we were doing.、Mm. And they would try to get competitive or whatnot. Wow! And、uh, lower their margins to compete with us, but we would just be able to lower margins because we ain't paying anybody.、Mm-hmm. We're not paying, you know, a lease on a physical building、mm-hmm. um, and whatnot. And so, so、yeah. with the deliveries, with this whole guerrilla marketing thing,、uh-huh. was it just you three doing the whole thing, or did you guys outsource any of that to other students? I mean, honestly, it was mostly us three. There were some friends who、mm-hmm. were really willing to help,、mm-hmm. and、uh, it was really awesome to have like them do. Things,、mm-hmm. uh, but operationally,、um, our friends would even,、uh, you know, we would set up、uh, in like the food courts and whatnot,、mm-hmm. and be like, "Hey, like, come sign up and get books or stuff like that、wow. as well."、Um, so we just have friends do that, and then you know, give them something nice at the end or something like that. Did, did you guys pay yourselves <coughs> a salary the first two years? Nah.、Or? So it was all、uh, just going back into the business. Yeah. So、um, wow. the opportunity we saw was. Uh, if we can make this much on the classes that we're in,、mm. if we start making like relationships with all the other professors,、mm. and we understand what we can and can't buy,、uh, then the more money we put in, the more we're going to make margin on it. And so,、wow. you know, if I if if I had one dollar and I made two dollars out of it, and I just kept one dollar, then all I have is one dollar.、Mm. But if I put that dollar back in, and it turns now the two turns into four. Um, I have one more dollar than I would have, and、right. uh, actually, the amount that it compounded was exponential because we were very strategic about which books we would use. So some of our professors actually published their own books,、mm. and so they would let us know when a new edition was coming out. But they would like they're not legally bound to tell the bookstore, right? Yeah. So then the bookstore would buy back these books at sixty, seventy dollars, and we would refuse to buy those.、Mm. And then afterwards, the next semester, the new edition comes out, and he says, "You need the new edition."、Mm-hmm. 
the official bookstore just sunk, you know, yeah. hundreds, maybe thousands. Sometimes it could be like tens of thousands of dollars, right? Uh, based on how much you buy it back for, that of just sunk cost. Mm. Uh, and as soon as a new edition comes out, like the value of the book depreciates like ninety percent. Yeah. And so even if you go on the open market on like Amazon or whatnot, it's not going to sell. Wow. And so we were able to kind of create a relationship with all the professors to know which books they were going to use. Mm. And if there was a new edition, um, some teachers, they would just choose to just use a different book. And for no reason. For no reason. Right. And um, we were able to kind of get some of that insider information and gave us a really big competitive edge to know which ones to buy, which ones not to, et cetera, et cetera. Wow. wow. Yeah. So, yeah, b- before I cut you off, um, you were talking about how in your junior year, the, the bookstore on campus, the, their lease was up, right? Yeah. So you guys swooped in and were you were you able to take over? Yeah, so we had to put an entire business plan together. Uh-huh. Uh, we had to make a presentation not only to the board of the school, but also to the bank because uh, we were going to have to take a substantial loan out for not only the brick and mortar location, mm. uh, but we would take over all apparel and all paraphernalia. Oh, wow. Uh, so we uh, went in and... Gave the presentation. Our whole thing was: this is my friend's bookstore. It's going to be a completely student-run bookstore. Mm. Uh, we'll never, you will never have to um, hire a manager who needs salary, mm. and so all of the margin can go back to the students so that they can get cheaper books. Because mm. uh, what you can do is take people in your business class, and this could be their internship or their co-op to wow. run this, yeah. and they'll get paid. You know, like decent money Mm -hmm. but you don't have to pay him a full salary of like a manager right and we had all the processes created and so um it just made a lot of sense to the school because we gave a lot back to the school Mm. uh the relationship between the bookstore and the school was so good um but once we did that i mean we had contracts with nike for all of the football gear um wow yeah we we had like under armor come in and try to sell us under armor and say like hey this is better than nike and then our Nike rep would come back and be like, no, I can like do this. And mm-hmm. so we started doing all of that kind of stuff too. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, once we started, I mean, it was, we, we ran the bookstore as a stupid, idealistic child would. <laughs> we were like, you know what matters? Like we want people to have fun at work. And so mm-hmm. we were like, the, like our interview process was you either needed to beat us uh, in chess in Super Smash Brothers or ping pong. Oh, wow. Or something wait, like that. Wait, which Super Smash Brothers? <clears throat> uh, back then it was, I think Brawl had okay. just come out. Okay. So, yeah. On the week. Wow. Yeah. Mm. Um, but, yeah, so that was like our interview process. And the whole thing was if there's customers there, you give them 100% attention. Mm-hmm. But if they're not there, you could have however much fun as you want. Wow. And so, you know, we would have like a whole bunch of fun and do a whole bunch of cool things uh, mm-hmm. like that. Um, but really, I mean, I got to give a shout out to, uh, there's a guy named Dana Waters and Scott Mumbauer. Um, those are the other two guys. Mm-hmm. And I mean, they, they, they really, uh, there's no way I could take credit for everything that happened. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, I, I feel like that's one of the success stories. Um, Although once we got everything running, once we got the building, once we got all the paraphernalia, mm-hmm. uh, a couple years later, um, the school, I mean, there was just some stuff that happened to where we kind of like liquidated everything. Oh, okay. And then we just took a lump sum out, uh, split it between the three of us. So when you got the store in your junior year 
and did, did you continue running it junior year into your senior year? And yeah, beyond, I think or? I think it actually ran one year after I graduated or six months after I graduated. Oh, um, okay. Yeah, so there was some people who stayed back. Uh, there was like you know some of the mm-hmm. transitioning and stuff like that that mm-hmm. we tried to do as well to really mm-hmm. make it a student-run bookstore. Oh wow! So yeah. when you graduated, were you kind of still like manager of this of the place, or did you kind of hand off all your um so the entire it, store? Yeah, so we all three of us had like. Our, our different strengths and weaknesses mm-hmm. um managing maybe like in in front of the store we all did mm-hmm. uh but scott was kind of more the marketing guy uh dana was all the finance guy and i was mm-hmm. more the web guy mm-hmm. um but i mean all of us managed and all of us did things but yeah <coughs> i mean we were all just kind of there mm, okay. uh to just kind of oversee things but also, oh, even yeah. after you guys graduated. Yeah, yeah. Okay. yeah. Some oh. of them stayed after, um, and then once we liquidated everything, uh, I was studying for my DATs and whatnot. And I was like, I don't know if this is the right thing. So then I just was like, I'm leaving America for a year. <laughs> oh wow! Yeah. Wow, wow, wow. So before, actually, let's talk about that now. So you, the reason for liquidation? Yeah. Was it just because the demand wasn't there anymore, or no? Um, man, uh, it's actually really sad. So. I feel like we were so altruistic mm. and so idealistic mm. that we thought that uh, giving people opportunity mm. uh, would be something that people would really, really bite on. Mm. Uh, but when there is an opportunity for money, uh, somebody will always want more and someone will always uh. want a piece of the pie. And so I think there was some of that. Uh, there was some, yeah. Uh, we wanted it to be student run. Um, mm-hmm. We were very idealistic in thinking that students could actually run it. Uh, we 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 loved it, and we actually had you know some of the soft skills and hard skills to be able to do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but some of the you know undergraduate kids who are just like, hey, I think I want to do business, and so I'm going to run an entire store that's actually running you know a legitimate business, yeah. and I have the decision making power to like total the business. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I think we were just a little too idealistic in some mm. of that stuff. And so, um, yeah, unfortunately, uh, when the lease came back up, um, the school decided to move away from my friend's bookstore. And so mm. we just liquidated everything, which basically got sold to the next person who took over. Wow. Wow. And and after when after you left and after you decided to leave America, yeah, uh, you went to Australia, right? Yeah. You want to yeah. talk about that a little bit? Because I think... It's going to be a little bit relevant when we talk about Everest later. Yeah. 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 Uh, So I left um, because I just knew I didn't want to be a dentist. Um, Mm. I was, you know, a good good kid, bio major and all the stuff that an Asian parent I think will be very proud of. (laughs) Was it influenced by your parents (coughs) or did you genuinely want to initially be a dentist? Um, I feel like it was one of those things where uh, I went on a ton of mission trips just because my dad's a pastor. All right. And uh, because of that, I was just exposed to dentistry, some of the medical stuff, because we did medical missions as well. Mm -hmm. And so I just helped like some of the dentists and the dentists that we went with were like super awesome. Mm -hmm. And I was like, yo, like I could do this, Appa. And he'd be like, yeah, you should. (laughs) Oh, okay. And what started out is just like kind of like, oh, that'd be kind of cool. I don't know how. It was totally internally me. I started chaining myself to it and like setting expectations that I was going to be. Wow. Um, which is kind of weird. It's kind of like, 
mess with my like brain ninjaed myself. Yeah. <laughs> um, you insected yourself. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but I, what I realized is when I did shadowing and uh, it's very meticulous work, mm. very high detail uh, at a high clip. Mm-hmm. Um, you have to be able to perform at a high, like I, I, I just can't do that because mm. I'm such a paint with a broad, broad stroke um, mm. kind of guy. Right. Uh, Big picture kind of guy. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, after about three weeks, I started like not doing things at like 100% efficient because I, I just don't work that way. Mm. Um, kind of like you said in the beginning, I like building things. And so I like the creative side of my brain. Right, right. And actually putting form to that. Um, but dentistry, uh, when I just looked at some of my friends who are actually really called to do that, or like you could tell they're really passionate about it. Mm. I was like, oh, I'm realizing like it's not made for me. Like one of my youngs, he's he's a surgeon now. Um, and we did like a couple trips, like one to Peru and uh, no, not to Peru. He, he went with me to Europe okay. um, and he's a surgeon now. But like he 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 should be a surgeon because he's like passionate about it and he's like really good at it. Mm. Uh, but for me, I was like, yo, I could work like three and a half days, make bank. Like that sounds really good. Uh, but then I realized like the actual work was like draining. Mm. Mm. So I was like, oh, I can't do this. Wow. Um, yeah. So so you went. You said. <clears throat> oh yeah. So then I was like, I can't do this. So uh-huh. I'm gonna go to Australia and I'm just gonna go to Hillsong College and do worship for a year. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I went to their worship school, uh, which, you know, if you've ever talked to me or if you've gotten to know me really well, uh, you'll know, like kind of my thoughts on it, like, um, great, great for people who just want to see how things work at Mm -hmm. a really, really amazing big school, Mm -hmm. uh, or like a big impactful church. Um, but for me, uh, it felt kind of like 13th grade. Like, like I had finished uh, I college yeah. and had classes at a collegiate level. And then it's like, I went backwards and then just went to like 13th grade. Uh, and so, um, yeah, after one year I came back and, uh, yeah. Do, do you feel like that experience enhanced any of your, I don't know, musical or worship leading skill sets or? Oh Yeah. Okay. I mean, especially musically, mm-hmm. um, I think I was pushed beyond anything else. Uh, just even <clears throat> like click, uh, mm. even, like just playing with met- a metronome, learning how to run with ears. Uh, mm. It's not something that was really in Atlanta. Um, right, like right. I didn't grow up with any of that. Uh, but then I went to Australia, I came back and I was like, guys, like we have to learn to play with the metronome. Mm. And all of a sudden we all realized like, oh, wow, we... We suck. <laughs> um, yeah. Okay. But, yeah. Gotcha. And I'm going to take it back a little bit. I just, I realized while we were talking about the bookstore that there was something you actually did even before that. Yeah. Uh, organization that you were part of creating. Um, was it an organization or was it more of an, a conference? How would you yeah. define so, it? Ignite, so, you're t- I'm, I'm yeah. Ignite. So, Ignite. So, I'm assuming you're talking about Ignite. Yeah. So, Ignite was really interesting. Um, Pastor Peter really deserves... Uh, a lot of credit here. Okay. Um, so when I was at Bethany and Pastor Peter was the EM pastor, <clears throat> as I was graduating my senior year, um, we had kind of talked and like, man, we should like do something for Atlanta, do something for the region. Mm. And so we held a worship night uh, at Bethany. And I think the first one, we actually might have just done it at Bethany. And then the second year we did Bethany and Hunning. Um, and over time, it kind of grew. 
Um, but Pastor Peter really led uh, most of that. Mm-hmm. And uh, looking back on it, I think there was like this really immature part of me that was like, like I want to lead, yeah. uh, just because okay. I was, you know, like eight. Oh, man, I'm gonna. I would have been like seventeen, eighteen. Mm-hmm. Um, but looking back on it now, and kind of at least being an Everest and whatnot, he deserves so much credit because mm. he created um, like a committee or something of pastors uh, that all kind of worked together, and it was an annual event mm-hmm. uh, that went, you know, I think from two thousand six or seven to like. 2014 maybe 2013 something oh, like wow. that yeah mm-hmm. and so uh yeah it was really amazing that's uh yeah it was always it was always a part of me mm-hmm. like no matter where i was i was making up new games with my brother at home or hey i bet you can't do this or things like that mm-hmm. and uh yeah i think that was one of the things where i had gone to a passion conference and mm-hmm. then afterwards there was something called thirsty back then mm-hmm. uh for leaders and uh, when I went to that, I was like, shoot, like we can do this as Asian Americans. We can do this. Mm. And so we like went out and tried to do that and really was able to succeed, I think, really because of Pastor Peter. Wow. So um, were yeah. you just part of the organization in, in terms of w- leading worship or were you also kind of on the operational side, planning side? Um, I think on the, f- in the first year, I might've had a little bit more hand in saying like, Hey, can you lead prayer? Can you lead this? Can you mm. do that? Uh, by the second year, there were a lot of pastors that were in those roles mm-hmm. and I was more so, uh, just leading worship. Gotcha. Uh, and then we, I think did a really good job of kind of pulling people from different churches and, mm. um, you know, really having a uni- unified front. And yeah. so, uh, Yeah. Yeah, I remember I actually attended. This was way before I even knew you were a person, <laughs> before I knew you existed. Um, I went with my church, and it was at, I want to say it was at either Perimeter? Yeah. It was at Perimeter Church, uh-huh. right? And there was a big worship band that came. Uh, switch, what? No, Starfield. Starfield. Starfield yeah, came. Starfield came. Yeah. Yeah. So we kind of all thought that it was some really big conference that nah. some white church was throwing. Nah. Um, but we were all kind of surprised, or at least I was surprised to see that it was led by Korean Americans. Yeah. Um, and kind of really proud of that, you know? Yeah. Because uh, back then, and even now, besides like Everest and a few things here and there, there isn't really anything uh, at a mass level where it's it's being led by asian americans for asian americans right it's, yeah i mean it's usually only like a couple churches doing things here yeah. and there yeah i think in the christian space it's it's not it's yeah I, I i don't know why i think it's because sometimes it is kind of hard to get over the first hump mm-hmm. to get the ball moving mm-hmm. um but I think outside of the Christian realm, like collaboration, uh, I know there's the, uh, shoot, KCA, um, and there's other things like that, or KAC, uh, Korean American Coalition, um, stuff like that, Mm, Um, giving some random shout outs, I guess. Uh, (laughs) But really what I think it came down to was Pastor Peter. Mm. Um, Man, I I can't say enough good things about him. Uh, He's a pastor at Four Points, if you don't know. Uh, He... He really, really invested into the region. Mm. And uh, I would say he's kind of, you know, one of the, uh, I don't know how to say it, kind of like a father or something like that. He, he's been here for a long time, mm-hmm. and he has a lot of experience under his belt planning in, like, California, uh, building the entire EM at Bethany, 
planting at four points. And, you know, I think from that wealth of wisdom and experience, uh, he was able to kind of corral everyone together. Um, and so a lot of, a lot of credit goes to him. Mm -hmm. Yeah, really for, for a lot of that happening. Okay. So your first kind of venture, you, you were under the leadership (laughs) under the wings of this uh, Pastor Peter, who yeah. kind of knew what he was doing already. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And would you say that that influenced your ability to uh, pull off the bookstore? Um, in some cases, uh, but others, like there were many failures in the bookstore as well. Oh, yeah. Um, so the bookstore, like as far as gathering people and kind of managing the relationships with the professors, mm-hmm. 100%. Mm-hmm. Because uh, as Ignite was happening... I think it's really important that you create relationships between churches and stuff like that. Mm. And so that's stuff that the bookstore wasn't doing, the previous bookstore, right. uh, our competitor, because, you know, they were like, hey, I'm just going to buy books. I'm going to sell them, like whatever. Right. Um, but I feel like that part I might have gotten, uh, you know, like some really good wisdom. I feel like I've carried a lot of wisdom from that stuff mm. uh, or just in Pastor Peter General. Uh, but from the bookstore, the stuff that I learned was the business side of things like right. money in money out, mm. uh, how to make some of the harder decisions. Um, yeah, I remember I had to fire somebody and if anybody knows my personality, yeah. like I talked to them for two and a half hours oh, wow. cause like I couldn't fire them. Yeah. And then like at the end, I think I was so vague that they didn't know if they were like still working there. <laughs> and uh-huh. then like I had to send an email after and oh, be like, man. I'm sorry, bro. <laughs> I'm like, so what was the reason for <clears throat> I'm assuming that was your first firing? Yeah. What was the reason for that? Um, no, it's just performance stuff. Like oh. uh, just having fun. And I, like, we wanted to have fun. Mm-hmm. But, you know, some people wanted to have fun and not work at all and get paid. Right. And uh, like there would be people that I would like play with, you know, mm-hmm. also. And yeah, so like yeah. it's super awkward. Yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> Did that... And, were you able to maintain a friendship with them after the fact? I was or? super awkward. Right. I mean, I tried not to, but it's like awkward. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. You can't help it. Yeah. yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> so, and, and you talked about how after the bookstore kind of closed, you were mm-hmm. able to liquidate. Um, the, and I'm assuming your Australia trip was funded by whatever you got from that liquidation. So, um, this is really weird. I'm, I'm probably really weird for doing this. Uh, yes and no. Okay. Um, so I had grown up where my, whenever I got a gift, Mm -hmm. um, and I got like money for like Hebet or like birthday, new year's, yeah. New year's money. Like if you're Korean and you like bow, they like give you a nice little envelope. Like, yes. (laughs) Um, that's the reason why you bow. Yes. (laughs) Uh, but, uh, like all of that stuff, I would get it. And then my parents would immediately take it Mm. and then they put it in a savings account or something like that. And so from a very young age, I was taught to save. Oh, wow. And so my first car uh, that I bought, it was the ugliest 93 Civic, like neon green. It was gross. <laughs> um, I, when I bought that, like I bought it with my cash. And wow. then uh, like it was going to be whatever you can afford is what you get. And so because of that, I was such a strong saver mm. um, that basically what I said was I'm going to fund my trip. Mm-hmm. to australia but once i get there i'm going to get a job and then rent and all of that i'm going to take care of by myself i see i see uh, and i told myself this money that i've saved up is going to be for my wife when i propose the ring and the honeymoon and the wedding wow and so that's what i said as like a 22 year old mm-hmm. thinking i was going to get married like a hell of a lot sooner 
And then like thinking back now, I was like, yo, if I put that in like Bitcoin or a house, like I'd be so rich. Right, right. Like, no one no one knew back then yeah. what Bitcoin would do. I mean, honestly, even if I just put that down as a down payment on a house or something, mm. um, but I don't regret it at all. Yeah. So although it sounded like I did. <laughs> so wait, with when you did propose to Lois when you guys mm-hmm. had your wedding and your honeymoon? Yeah. Well, were you able to did you mm-hmm. actually Yeah, I didn't money? touch that money, yeah. Wow. Yeah, I really didn't touch that Dang, money. That's a lot of discipline. So, um I used if I'm being honest like 20%, nah, not that much. Uh, I used a certain percentage mm-hmm. to get me to Australia mm-hmm. and to get me set up. Mhm. Uh, but then all my monthly expenses, I made sure I had a job. It's socialist country, so right. I was uh, waiting tables, getting paid twenty one or twenty two dollars an hour. Oh wow! Yeah, socialists, and so yeah. yeah. They, so the fact that you were able to do all of that with that money—I mean, you don't have to disclose how much it was, but it, it was a sizable amount, right? Yeah. So the bookstore, even though it had to liquidate. I'm, it was kind of a success, right? If, yeah. If it got to the size where liquidation brought in that much money for you guys? Yeah. I mean, I think honestly for us, it felt like a failure because we had such an idealistic mindset of like, we can give an opportunity to anybody who wants to go into business to mm-hmm. get some real like entrepreneurial experience that they'll never be able to get anywhere else mm-hmm. where you can make calls and make mistakes because there's enough margin built in. Mm-hmm. Um so seeing that not work out, I think was pretty sad. Mm. Um, and so when when it liquidated, I, I don't think any of us were like, yay. Uh, I think we were uh, more like, shoot, like we should have just sold it two years ago when like we could have sold it as a business mm. um, because we beat out um, Cisco, I think, which is like does food for like schools, uh, something else that started with an F mm-hmm. uh, and then Barnes and Nobles. Wow. And so those are the people who actually bid. And mm. so we beat out Barnes and Nobles for that slot. Wow. Um, and like we could have sold it to like Barnes and Nobles and been like, hey, we've already got all this. We've got all like whatever you can buy mm-hmm. a business and we would have gotten the valuation of the business mm-hmm. as opposed to liquidating and just getting money on the assets. Mm-hmm. And so um, I guess in hindsight, it's nice that we got some in our pockets. Yeah. Uh, but in like, I don't know, in actuality, it, it was pretty sad. Like it could have been much more. <laughs> like uh, we like it. If we would have sold it, we probably would have made like five, ten x of what we actually got wow. out. Yeah, and so it's pretty sad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I guess the lesson learned there then is, you... oh, I don't want to. So well, let me ask you then, because yeah. you're a very idealistic person in, for by sure. Nature, right? Yeah, yeah. And, and so if and I met you after this whole bookstore thing happened in your life, I would guess that that situation didn't really affect your idealism. Nah, much right. So, nah. but do you consider it though in in things that you do now, or are you still? Yeah, I believe in. So, I have been so fortunate in life mm. that um, I feel like I've failed forward a lot, mm. uh, in the sense that I think that would, like we failed in the sense that if we would have sold it, we would have made so much more, and you know that would have been like awesome. Like we might have even been able to franchise the thing or whatnot. Wow, but. Instead, um, because we were so idealistic, we missed out on the opportunity, mm-hmm. but we still got money in our pockets. And that was, that was a failure to learn. Mm-hmm. And I feel like, you know, life is just built on the steps of failure towards success. Mm. Um, I feel like if you want to get to something good, you just got to, I think I said this on Zealand's podcast, mm-hmm. like you just got to do a whole bunch of bad things before you get one thing that's okay. Right. Yeah, a whole bunch yeah. of okay things. To, yeah. And, and so uh, for me, it, it's invaluable. Mm-hmm. Like, 
I, I wouldn't change anything about it um, because I still have a stupid idealistic mindset, um, hyper optimist. And, you know, I think that's one of the things that anybody who wants to be entrepreneurial needs to have mm. because um, just building things in general, you're just on this highly volatile up and down like right. momentum shift all the time like i know i know what i've been built for and then a week later like i am the worst manager of all time and then you know a couple months yeah. later like i'm gonna be so rich and then like a couple months later like i'm gonna go bankrupt like mm. that whole thing i think if you have a very optimistic mindset you're able to just kind of pile drive through it right uh but if you don't have that uh like a lot of people you know would much rather just stick somewhere in the equi equilibrium and mm. never, you know, aim high or because of the chance of failing. Gotcha. So let me ask you, if if you had the opportunity to start another bookstore yeah. in, in the exact same like, conditions as they were when you were in college, yeah. do you think you would still build it and hand it off to students to say, we will leave in the students to, to continue to run it? Or do you think you would put more safeguards in there so that you can avoid you know, liquidation. Man, if I did it now, mm -hmm. uh, knowing what I know, um, I would have built the one at Presbyterian College, mm -hmm. uh, taken the profits from that, went to Furman, to Simpsonwood, um, or shoot, Newberry. I would have gone to all the other small colleges in the area, uh, franchised out, mm -hmm. and then built like... I would have I would have tried to dominate like the southeast. I see. That's what I would do cuz mm. it was so profitable at that time and brick and uh brick and mortar stores just didn't understand the value of internet sales. Mm -hmm. Um that you could have taken people out of business so fast. Right. Well, but then at those smaller places that you would have set up, would you have entrusted students to run those as well or do you think you would have knowing that it, it might fail like the the way that the the one in your college did because there were some people who yeah no i think i think i probably keep a closer grip on things mm. uh and then put like you know a kid who's gonna be a business major or something and actually groom them into becoming a manager mm. someone who wants to stay in that area someone who wants to kind of make a living mm -hmm. in 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 a college town mm -hmm. and be like hey you can make this much coming out of college if you if you want to do this and finding someone like that, grooming them, and then letting them run it, and then run it through students or something like that. Wow. So, because if it were me, and something like that happened to me, where I, I think I would have just wholly blamed the students for, oh man, this thing I built, we have to liquidate because <laughs> of you guys. I'm never trusting you again. But I, I see that that no, trust yeah. and hope in them is still intact. Yeah. I mean, I, oh. I, I still think it'd be like, imagine, so if someone told me, hey, I want to be a dentist, so I'm going into college. Uh, I'm going to be a bio major because I want to go into dentistry. Mm -hmm. The earlier that I can get my hands onto what it actually means to be a dentist, the quicker I'll be able to decide for myself if this is a career fit. Wow. Um, and our education system doesn't do that. Mm -hmm. For the first two years, you take a whole bunch of classes that everyone else takes yeah. um, or weed out classes where it's actually not the skill set of what you would actually need for the job, mm -hmm. but it's just, I'm going to make this hard so that the people who really want it or the people who are just naturally gifted and smart mm. will make it through. Right. 
And, uh, you know, because of that, I feel like a lot of people end up in jobs that they don't necessarily belong in Mm -hmm. because after, you know, however much college debt you go into, there's almost this obligation that you have to. Right. Um, And that's the other thing. Like I I went to Presbyterian College because I I was able to get scholarships uh, to where I didn't really have to pay to go to college. Mm, And so leaving without any college debt and that money in my pocket made it really easy for me to look at my parents and say, like, I'm going to Australia. I'm going to fund it myself. Like, we can't really say anything. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And so they just kind of let you go with with nothing to say. Yeah. I mean, what can they say? They can't say, like, I'm not going to give you money because I don't need I don't I don't need your money. You (laughs) know what I mean? Wow. 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 Okay. So let's fast forward a little bit um, from your after you did your whole uh, Hillsong thing for a Mm -hmm. year. um, you, You obviously kept honing your worship leading, your musical yeah. side. But uh, you told me um, about the the marketing consulting thing that you started. <laughs> yeah. Can you talk, talk a little gosh. bit about that? Um, yeah. I mean, so coming back from Australia, I went to Four Points Church and I was the worship director there. And that was actually building too. Okay. Because uh, that's a church plant from nothing uh, to something. But then the uh, discipleship pastor there, Jason Jong, mm-hmm. he gave me an opportunity to come to his uh company and work for him oh wow and uh that was also a startup and so i think just my whole life i've just been building yeah um or seeing really people who are good at building build Mm. and so um in that company we did marketing tech for franchises Mm -hmm. and i learned a lot about marketing um and i you know got to work with jason jong like grace song connor Mm. chang like a lot of those people um and uh yeah, as I was doing that, I learned a lot of marketing stuff and I realized our parents own small businesses and they don't market at all uh, because they're just like, they will come. Like, right. like if you think of like a cleaners, you don't even need to do like online advertising because no one's advertising, but you should at least put yourself up on like Yelp, Google Places. Like right. just so when someone puts in cleaners, they, like you show up on the mm-hmm. map. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was like, you know, I'm going to build a company, like a consultant where I can come in and I can run ads for people or set them up, um, so that they have some kind of digital footprint. Right. And so I actually called it Novexi Solutions. I put money in. Yeah. Novexi in the sense that, uh, it comes from Nova and Nexus, uh, Mm -hmm. Nexus being come together. Anyway. Uh, so it was marketing, I, I, LLC, I paid for it. I had like full ownership of the whole thing mm-hmm. uh, and never made a penny. <laughs> I like went to a whole bunch of businesses and I was uh-huh. like, I'm going to set you up and get your digital footprint uh-huh. and you're going to see that you're going to get more people in through your door. And once you see that after a month, if you want to hire me, you can pay me X per X per month mm-hmm. and I'll continue like these things to drive you more, whatever. Okay. And then I would set it up and then I come back and then they would be like, wow, I did get more traffic. And I was like, great, that's great. Like mm. your, your business is growing. Yeah. So do you want to pay monthly so that I can continue to bring more? And they're like, no, this is this is good. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> I see. Like I oh, wow. thought, you know, as a, because even the free service that I gave, mm-hmm. if you're in any marketing at all, you would know like a lot of people have like setup costs or like one-time setup fees and right. stuff like that. But I was basically just like, I'll eat, all the cost or I'll just put in the man hours to get all this stuff set up for you. Mm-hmm. I won't take a dime. Cause I really want to help, you know, second gen Asian or like first gen immigrants who yeah. like are running these stores and they just don't know anything about the digital space. Right. Like, let me help you. And 
I would do it and they'd be like, Oh, thank you. And then like, you want more? And they're like, no, I was like, that's, that's so interesting. So I never made a penny. I actually, I actually lost so much money doing that. Why do you think they didn't want any more? Because one thing I know about the first gen is yeah. they are business savvy. They they might not yeah. be tech savvy. They have a huge like cultural and language barriers um, to really connect them with the, the the society around them in America. Yeah, but for sure they are business savvy because we wouldn't right. be you know we wouldn't be enjoying the fruits of their labor. Right. If they weren't, right? Yeah, yeah. So what makes them see growth in their business and say, that's it. I'm not, I don't want any more. So, I, I, so I don't know for sure, mm-hmm. but here's some things that I think might. Uh, number one, mm-hmm. the stuff that I was saying to them, I don't think they fully understood. Uh, so um, me telling them, hey, like I put you on Google Places, I put you on these uh, review sites, um, like great. And then I'm like, hey, if you put advertising – you're going to be able to jump in front of everyone else. So you'll be the first thing people see mm. and that's going to cost this much. And they're like, no, like I just saw more people come. I think that's enough. Uh. And so there's just this idea that like, number one, I don't think they fully understood. Mm-hmm. Number two, I think there's like some skepticism in there. Mm. And then number three, uh, something that I heard a lot was like, that person has five dry cleaners and the way that they grew was this way. And so I'm going to oh, do that. Yeah. And I can't really blame them for that because somebody did succeed and somebody did, you know, go from right. one dry cleaner to five and they're making this much. They're actually not even doing anything. They're just managing it X, Y, Z. And they're like, I just want to do that. And I'm like, well, I can get you like way more people through your door so that your one business could make as much as their like two or three. Right. Um, but I don't know. I I'm just as dumbfounded. <laughs> I thought I was giving such a good service that mm-hmm. it would be, you know, really good side gig for me. Mm. Um, but nah. Do, do you think it had anything to do with kind of the disconnect between first generation, second generation Asian Americans? Or was it just purely the things that you talked about? I don't think so. Because my Korean is good enough to where I was able to communicate. Mm. Um and I think they trusted me because they, I, I purposely built the strategy in a way where I was like, I'm going to give value first. Mm. And then when they see value, I'll say, do you want to pay for more value? Um, but I, obviously, I just didn't know my audience well. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> and that's so interesting because from a business perspective, it sounds like you did everything right. Yeah. You kind of proved yourself. No, it was a, like complete failure. Never made a penny. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So, I mean, did that hurt your morale at all? Or, I mean, I think the beauty of being in tech is mm-hmm. you never have a ton of overhead. Mm-hmm. So I never had to build a brick and mortar, or carry inventory or anything like that. Mm-hmm. And so when I failed, I was out my man hours and probably a few hundred bucks mm-hmm. um, and a lot of gas because mm-hmm. I drove a lot. Wow. So it was really just out time. Wow. Uh, but yeah, it sucked. Yeah. <laughs> wow. So how did you even find these places to go to, to, to pitch the ideas to them? Because they, they didn't really have a digital footprint before, right? Yeah. So um, there's, uh, they used to have Google Place or Google Plus and Google Places. Mm-hmm. Now it's just maps. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but you used to be able to go through and find like claim your business you know what I'm talking about? Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. And so uh, I would just go through and just look for like cleaners or like mm-hmm. stuff like that and mm-hmm. 
just assume they'd be Korean (laughs) and then walk in and be like, Hey, like, I see that you don't have a digital footprint. Like Mm. if you do this, like your, your business is going to be, uh, more valuable. Mm. Uh, would you like me to do that for you? And then they're like, so do you want us to dry clean your clothes? And I'm like, no, uh, I'm just here to see if I can help you. And they're like, Oh no, I don't want to buy anything. Mm -hmm. I'm like, no, I'll do it for free. Like, I'll just, I just want to help you. Mm -hmm. Like, no. And they're so skeptical. Like, Uh, like I'm trying to get them to buy something. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Whereas, for, yeah, I don't know. So it, <laughs> just from hearing about this, it almost seems like because they were so unfamiliar with like the internet right. and what it could do to help their business. Uh-huh. It, it's such unknown territory for these people. Right. Like, they just, the, the level of skepticism wasn't right. like, it was just so much that there was no business to be had even. Right. Right. In those conditions yes right, right. so I, I guess the takeaway from that is you kind of do have to know your audience right in, in the way that they'll react to certain things in right. certain situations wow that's crazy <laughs> wow, wow. okay then the next up right i remember this really fondly because i was part of one of your creative days but there was a stretch of time where you and a couple of friends were working on a board game, right? Trying yeah. To, trying to a board game. <laughs> so if I know anything about you, Jonathan, it's that you love board games. Yes. You love playing them. Yes. If you go to your house, there's 50 to choose from at yeah. any given moment. Yes. Yeah. So is that how, how did you get into the the space of creating a board game? Like yeah. What sparked that? So I need to, I need to give shout outs again so jason jong who was the coo of the company before mm-hmm. he's now the vp at uh dave ramsey's real estate stuff oh wow uh, yeah he's he's amazing one of the most incredible human beings i've ever met uh and then there's ray jesualdo mm-hmm. um he was a, a software engineer he was a developer um at the company at the time and mm-hmm. now he's he's moving on up in the sales loft world oh wow um and yeah he's he's amazing too um, so us three started a company mm-hmm. uh, on the idea that because of digital um, means or just digital stuff, mm-hmm. uh, human interactions weren't happening as mm-hmm. much. And so uh, more than a board game, we wanted to empower human connection. Mm-hmm. And that was actually what all of it was about. And the com- company name was called Gachi or in Korean, Kachi. Mm-hmm. And right. uh, it was like a G. And then like another backwards G. Mm-hmm. And it's because that in, uh, I'm doing some sign language, just two fists put together. <laughs> you can um, do it to the camera now. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, that actually means together in sign language. Mm-hmm. And so together, kachi. And so we were trying to create experiences that would bring humans together. Mm. Um, kind of like what we're doing now, because this is so valuable. Right. Uh, but like, it's so easy to just play games and just talk to people online or just not have human interactions. And mm. because of that, you know, depression is at an all time high. Uh, we even had thoughts of like, how do we gear things um, on the altruistic side of things on like depression or like suicide prevention and stuff mm. like that? Mm-hmm. Because just human interaction has gotten to an all time low. Right. And so while we were in the midst of that, because I love board games so much and Jason does as well, we we're like, why don't we create a board game? Cause that's, tabletop that's you have to be there yeah so when we got there joel a good friend of mine who also loves board games uh, we brought him in and we built uh, a board game from the ground up um but when we were doing that we we said you know like instead of just building some cool mechanic Mm -hmm. what if we created um like a community of people because our whole thing is about 
empowering human connection. Right. How about we create like a creative day where we'll cater all the food and we'll come in with kind of like our idea of how we're going to build the lore and the world that we yeah. live in. Yeah. And we'll just get a whole bunch of people to come and we'll just like get some creative juices flowing. Mm. People can meet each other and uh, it'll just be really fun to kind of create. And, um, you know, those kind of spaces don't exist. Yeah. And so we did that. Uh, we had this really interesting idea of interexistence. Mm-hmm. I won't go into the details of that, but mm-hmm. uh, just letting people dream up things and yeah. having tables come up with ideas and stuff like that. Um, and we took all of that and we I actually found a buddy in Mexico who uh-huh. does like artwork. Uh-huh. Uh, I still keep in touch with him. Jeff Brown Graphics. If you're ever looking for graphics, that guy. Um, amazing artist. Mm. And we started going down the the road of producing like a real board game. Uh, wow. There's a company out in China called Board Panda, mm-hmm. uh, and our minimum like production was like 1500 or something like that. And we were like, I don't think we could sell that. <laughs> so kind of put a halt on it. And mm. then over time, it just kind of fell apart. Um, Did you guys finish making the whole board game? So the board game in and of itself mm-hmm. uh, has been played by a few people. Oh. Uh, so Joe Song, uh-huh. Sam Pack, Joel, myself. Uh, there's a guy named Dan Sun out in Portland okay. that came in through Sam. He played the game and he was like, when you get a prototype, you send it out to me in Portland. I'm going to sell you so many. Of the-. <laughs> uh, the game, I, I mean, I'm probably extremely biased, but it was super fun. Mm. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, hopefully someday I can get into production. Okay, cool. And I, I want to comment on the creative day because I, I was there. Yeah, it was really fun. It was right. We were just all at kind of tables. Um, it wasn't awkward because we kind of had something that we wanted to accomplish together. Uh huh. Um, uh huh. We had questions like what I remember. Um, one of the things was trying to figure out for like one of the races yes what their like strengths or like superpower yes superpower would be Uh uh-huh i pitched that i don't know why um i was kind of in a weird how do you remember this because it was a very impactful day um i remember saying hey what if one race like their superpower isn't like it's kind of subtle like they're like really good at googling stuff (laughs) like I, i pitched that idea and everyone was like so like, they're very smart and they have they're like keepers of knowledge they, they were like yeah trying to turn it into something useful but i was like no no no. they're just really normal but like you just give them a phone and google and they can like find stuff that you would never be able to find yourself my gosh and you just kind of passed over <laughs> but it, it was fun because um like no one really said oh that's stupid or like you get out because no, that's not yeah. creative enough but like we all kind of had fun with it um and, yeah. and so it, it makes sense that you guys did that now knowing that your company, the goal was to bring people together. Yeah. 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 So I, if, if I was just thinking about uh, making a board game, I would actually say that was probably not super efficient because of people like me no. throwing out dumb ideas. <laughs> but uh, uh, yeah, in, in terms of uh, creating relationships and, yeah. and getting people together, I, that was a great success, I would say. Thanks. Hey, you should you should do more of those. Yeah, it was super fun, yeah, right? Yeah. I feel like you would be really good at do like curating that <laughs> stuff because you're you're a writer. Mm. Um, oh, like, you know what? Like sneaky plug if you've never listened to this or read this guy's like blog <laughs> bro there's there's some really really good writing in there oh, thank you and thank you. you know i feel like you'd be able to curate stuff because mm. i'm not creative but i love like bringing people together mm. uh, but i feel like you'd be able to you know really create an awesome world and whatnot mm. yeah yeah hey you know what there's actually a quasi fantasy book that i'm working on right now wow uh, maybe it would be fun to do something similar yeah. to what you guys did yeah, well, 
we'll talk about that yeah actually. yeah cool cool yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay so so the board game um as uh go it's not in production because yeah. you guys are kind of holding off on it aodin dynasty that's that, that's, what that's the name of the oh aodin is the world uh it's alpha omega and then eden and so we had some very mm. very interesting um yeah like it wasn't outwardly christian but that we had like very interesting faith mm. things built in um but aodin and then dynasty was the was the game oh cool yeah man i'm i'm actually really you really should throw that into production so <laughs> people can play it I, I would love to. <laughs> Wait, so what's what's holding you from doing it? So I guess I got to put it in Kickstarter. I got to put all the marketing together. I got to finish up all the artwork and then mm. actually produce all the pieces. Um, Jason Jong actually created some of the STL files for like 3D prints and stuff. Mm. There's, there's actually a lot of back back end stuff that needs to still get done. Gotcha. Uh, gotcha. But the actual mechanics and actual playing the game, mm. that's been that's been pretty much done. We've been play tested it, mm. gone and played with different people. I've went to like um, Titan games, Wasteland games, oh, yeah, uh, yeah. and then talk to the managers there and like, mm. hey, when you have board game nights, can you let me know and I'm going to play test this thing. Mm. And then I just grab random people and be like, hey, play this game. <laughs> um, cool, cool. Yeah. I see, I see. All right, so then uh, let's jump into from there, yeah. Everest. Yeah. And because this is kind of your most recent ongoing venture. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it's it's unique. I guess it's somewhat similar to Ignite, but it's unique in the sense that you can't really measure success by revenue. Cause no, there no. is no revenue. There is no, yeah, there's no such thing as revenue. <laughs> um, so, yeah, can you just kind of take us through the journey of how you started Everest, what, three years ago now? Yeah. Yeah. And, it's about and, three. Yeah. And, you know, for each of those years, you you had a conference um, mm -hmm. and kind of just the growth of that and what you feel like it's doing for the, the Atlanta region and mm. all that. And, you know, even I, I kind of want to highlight some of the difficulties. Right? Wow. Because, oh, yeah. OK. I mean, we, we can talk about the good stuff all day long, but uh -huh. people can get inspired. But if people get delusioned. Right. Uh, when they start something and they like hit the first obstacle, <laughs> they might just quit. Yeah. You know? Like. All these people I, I listened to, they, they did great. They, like all the things fell in line for them and they had no struggles. If, if I'm struggling, it must mean that I'm not doing something right. So yeah. I feel like a lot of people quit for that reason. But, mm, that's really good. But if we can kind of, as much as you want to disclose, if you yeah. can kind of uh, see some of the things that you struggled with in building Everest, yeah. I think that can kind of help people to, to say, okay, it's not all fun and games. It's not always yeah. super easy. But at the end of it, the, you, we can see great value. Yeah. Um, wow. That's that's a lot there. There's a lot to unpack. Mm. Um, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm an open book, uh, maybe maybe to a fault. <laughs> um, but Everest, yeah, it's been around for about three years. Uh, it's a nonprofit um, organization built on lay leaders, uh, people who aren't pastors, with a board uh, built of pastors. Mm. Um, and the whole idea is... Um, we want to uh, empower generations to recognize and pursue greatness in God. And, um, you know, I feel like we probably could do a better job of kind of redefining some of that stuff. Okay. Uh, I feel like that might have even been one of – I'll start right off the bat. Um, I think even some of the word choice and some of the stuff that we've used mm -hmm. uh, has really – 
it, it wasn't clear enough um, that there was a lot of like vagueness mm. a lot of times with that in terms um, of like the vision yeah like okay. what does it mean like am I supposed this is like worked base like salvation like I've even uh, got that gotten that before mm. um, or like uh, God doesn't call you to be like some like amazing thing or you know like right. like or um, like God really cares about the heart not about and so like because of that I feel like you know there's a there's been some you know, like, man, how do I redefine some of this stuff or how do I define some of this for people? And, mm. uh, for me, you know, greatness, um, I actually just had a meeting with our directors not too long ago and Chuni put it really well. Uh, the greatest of these will be the least of these. And mm. there's this idea of servant leadership, um, that God really, you know, to be great in the kingdom of God, you have to really be the least. Mm. Um, and I think, you know, the idea of Everest, um, as far as like the operational, all that kind of stuff, um, we really want to empower the second generation Asian Americans, Korean Americans to um, really take ownership of their faith mm-hmm. um, and outwork it and like actually see what God can do with the little things that we have. Because mm. um, greatness doesn't come in of ourself. Right. Um, greatness comes in when you take two fish and five loaves and say like, here, right. and then great things happen. Mm. Um, and so for, for me, uh, the impetus of all this, uh, a lot of the guys on the worship team, we used to go around and just play, um, music for different churches mm-hmm. and music for different, uh, retreats and things like that. Right. Um, we just did it like, Hey, we're just here to serve. Like, you don't have to give us anything. We just want to serve. Mm. Um, we did that for a while. And because we did it for so long, Bethany said, Hey, like we want to, we want to see you do something with that. And so um, here's kind of our support. Okay. Uh, and Wait, from so that. When you were going around to these different conferences and all that, mm-hmm. were you were you Everest at the time? No, 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 no. It was just a group of this friends. Is, this is maybe over a decade worth of doing that for free. Oh, wow. Yeah, for free. Just, hey, we don't have a worship team or, hey, we're missing a bass player mm-hmm. or, hey, we're missing this or, hey, we're going to put a... Um, a retreat together in Athens called KCYC. Mm-hmm. Can you guys come? Like, yeah, sure. Or like um, one year, like, hey, Synod, like, hey, yeah, we'll come do that. Or mm-hmm. family retreat for like PCUSA, like, hey, we'll go do that. Um, there's a Korean American representative coming through for something in Louisville. And we're like, yeah, sure, we'll go up there and we'll we'll lead worship for that. Oh, wow. Um, there was a church in South Carolina that was like, hey, like we want to put a retreat together, but we don't have anything. And we're like, yeah, we'll just come up and we'll put the whole thing together for you and we'll like mm. lead worship. Mm. Uh, so we did a lot of stuff like that. Mm. Um, and I think, you know, that was our time of like just falling in love with God and just falling in love with like, hey, like gathering people and just, you know. Mm-hmm. And so in all of that, we started to realize that um, man, God gave us a gift mm. and I can either really steward it well, or I can just like whatever. Mm. And, uh, one of the big challenges that I pushed when I was at four points was, um, we can just do worship just like any other church and just kind of whatever, or we can take the gifting that God gave us and we can steward it to the best of our ability. Mm. And I'm going to take my five and turn it into 10, or I'm going to take my 10 and I'm going to turn it into 20. Right. Um, not in the sense to say like, wow, look at my glory because everything is always for his namesake. Mm. And like, that's where I think 
the stuff doesn't like it's so hard to explain that to everybody but like you being amazing at your job or like you going into work and really making an impact for the kingdom mm-hmm. like that matters right um and so all of that was wrapped into everest and because i think in the beginning um the way that i lead i'm so collaborative that i'm like okay like i have a vision what do you guys think mm-hmm. and we end up creating this big snowball um I, I, I might have even opened up my hands too much to let it get really like I a little see. bit of everything. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so because of that, um, you know, I think we've, we've gone through pivots and redefining and things like that. And that's never easy. Yeah. yeah. Um, cause you do something, it might look successful or might not look successful, but, uh, if you're not really clear on like, this is why we're doing it. It's like, how do we measure that? Right. Um, and so because of that, I think, you know, we went through some ebbs and flows where Mm. it's like, wow, we have a lot of people. And then it's like, but were we effective? Um, Mm. you know, stuff like that. Yeah. Um, and because vision, I think for an organization, yeah, if, especially if revenue is not the kind of the KPI to use to measure performance, um, you kind of take what you've done and you, compared to the vision that you had right Right. and that's really the only metric that you have to say are are we doing a good job or not Uh uh-huh um so so you're saying because the vision was kind of open-ended a little bit yeah that no matter what you were doing like someone was able to say well this isn't lining up to the right right?" yeah wow Uh yeah and i I mean i think you know we're still in year three Mm -hmm. um and to any aspiring entrepreneur or anybody who wants to start something uh, it takes a while mm, for sure. you to understand what it is that you're actually doing. Mm. Um, you know, I feel like when I when I give an example, Lois, my wife, gave me a really good analogy for it. Like, we're just digging a hole because mm. when you're going to build a house, you need a foundation. And the first thing you do is you just dig a hole. Yeah. And then when you dig a hole, like, it doesn't look like a house. In fact, you're going the wrong way. Right. Um, and it's a lot of hard work that never, ever, ever gets appreciated at the end of the house. Mm. And then at the end of it, you just pour a whole bunch of concrete in there and then you build a house. Right. And everyone's like, wow, there's that. But what people don't understand is there is a time needed to develop the foundation. Mm. Um, and I think that's the season we're in right now mm. uh, where we are redefining things, challenging things. And we have such an awesome group um, Juni Pack, Connor Chang, Jim, or James Lee. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, oh my goodness, I'm forgetting somebody. Who am I forgetting? Oh my goodness, I'm so sorry Are to whoever I'm forgetting. Anyone? I'm forgetting people. I'm oh, I'm 100 forgetting people. <laughs> I don't know. Um, we'll get we'll get back to it. Um, and then like our board of pastors. Mm. Um, but like because of the team mm-hmm. and because everyone's committed to like, hey, we want to see something happen for the region. Mm-hmm. Um we're just digging right now. We're, mm. we're just figuring out, Hey, exactly. What is it that we're going to, I, I mean, like even passion conference. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm probably speaking out of term. Sorry if anybody's listening, I probably <laughs> don't know. Uh, but at a certain point they shifted and said, we are going to be about the freedom of slaves. Mm, yeah. Yeah. And they said like, this is the actual reason for, but way before that, when they're doing one, one days or things like that yeah dude they were just gathering people and there were tons of people mm-hmm. and it wasn't bad mm-hmm. um but it took them a little bit to say this is a stake we're putting in the ground and we are going to do something for the 
freedom of slaves. Mm, right. And, you know, it might have even been like a decade before they get, got there. Mm. Um, but in the same way, I think right now uh, we're realizing operational things that we can figure out and do better. We're figuring out relational things that we can do better. We're mm-hmm. figuring out church-to-church relationships that we could do better. Uh, we're, we're learning a lot about first-gen, second-gen, and how to really honor that relationship really well. Mm. Um, and yeah, all of that is really the groundwork um, yeah. for something right. um, to come, you know, like in the in the next years, I think. And so I'm still really hopeful and really excited. And mm. every year, I think um, there were things that we did well, and I think there were things that we did not do well. Mm. Um, and I think that's, you know, in anything. Mm. But... Uh, we've definitely been growing and learning um, how to do better. So, so would you say right now you guys are still in the midst of trying to figure out more of a defined vision, or do you think you've you're you're kind of zeroing in on? Yeah. On so I think I think the whole idea of Everest um, has been pretty solidified in the sense of like yeah, servant leadership and all that kind of stuff, mm-hmm. um, and really wanting to see all that come to fruition. Um, you know, like. Personally, for me, when I started Everest, it was like, hey, I have friends who aren't in church or mm-hmm. people who've, uh, you know, just gone away from church. And if I genuinely believe the things that I believe in, like, that's kind of serious. Yeah, yeah. And so, like, I want to do whatever I can to to get them back in or uh, to, to have them have an encounter with God. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, a lot of this was kind of built on that. But all of this... I think so, has been pretty solidified. Mm-hmm. Um, I just don't know if we have found the right words or the right pieces to really display it out to everybody, mm. if that makes sense. I, I think the people who get it, get it, mm. but we haven't like bite-sized the stuff in a way where it's really easily digestible out. I see. Gotcha. Um, and that's probably, you know, some on me for being able to put in the mind mind share to really think through how th- we could do that and mm-hmm. stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, I mean, that's some raw, unfiltered stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to ask you a little bit more uh, operational sides of stuff. Yeah. So you mentioned you have a board with, with yeah. pastors and you have directors who are yep. lay leaders, right? So what what is the kind of the separation of responsibilities between the two. Like, what is the board responsible yeah. for? What did the directors do? So I actually had bylaws and like actual documentation for all this stuff, mm-hmm. but um, a lot of that's gone out the door uh, mm-hmm. because what I've realized is collaboration and relationships uh, outweigh any role or title. Mm. Um, and so initially um, the board was... Uh, responsible for keeping us on vision and making sure that, you know, being kind of like the spiritual heads Mm -hmm. of what's going on and saying like, Hey, I don't really think that that's right. Or, you know, how about we go about it this way or that Mm -hmm. way? Um, whereas the directors were just purely operational. How do we get this thing done? Mm -hmm. How do I get this thing set up? How do I get a team put together? How do I find a venue? How do I, um, where do I get food? Where do I get, um, t-shirts, all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, and so there was a very clear separation. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what I've realized is that didn't work out very well. Uh, mm-hmm. What it basically did was it just got a whole bunch of directors to just do, and then a whole bunch of board members to just come in and be like, yeah, sure. Uh, um, and yeah, it just didn't build much relationship or anything. And mm-hmm. so this past year, um, 
the board was way more involved. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, even still, I think they could be involved even more. And so moving forward, I think, you know, the model might shift from something traditional where it's kind of this top down. Right. Um, hierarchy to kind of more like, hey, like, let's just do this as friends, as family. Mm. Um, and how do we build something together? And, you know, speaking of that, like, I, you know, I really think if as an entire region we come together, uh, there's really amazing things that we can do, mm. you know? Mm. Yeah. And so um, that, yeah, that's kind of my two cents on that. I see. So the, let's kind of go year by year. Um, the first year, you, you still had this separation where yeah. the board was doing more just oh yeah that looks good Mm -hmm. or and the directors were kind of planning everything yeah and you had you had conference that year but it was like a three-day conference right yeah and you had was it base camp did you have base camp yeah was it just one event that was kind of leading up to the end of year conference yep okay and and base camp you you had it at cross point church yep huge church Uh, a bunch a lot of people came up yeah, right. A ton. Yeah, and uh, we we actually had worship nights then too, but it okay. was very pointed at people who we wanted to be volunteers, I so see. they could it, like those nights were more let's pitch vision mm. and let's really pitch like what we could see in the region. Mm. Um, so, so those were trying to kind of trying to get a, a manpower, trying to get people to volunteer so that yeah. you can pull off conference, right? Um, two twofold one one to volunteer but two to just get people to understand what we were doing mm-hmm. so that by the time we said hey we're going to put a conference together mm-hmm. they weren't like what the heck is that and they'd be like okay like i understand what they're about right yeah and, and so when you had the conference what was kind of the reception to that um i mean well i guess leading up to the whole thing mm-hmm. what was kind of your feeling about everest yeah um, as a conference and after the fact do you feel like you guys uh, executed to your vision or so get, was there a miss there or yeah so for the first year i think um i think first year might have been our biggest turnout um and every year since uh as we've kind of changed target or moved locations or whatnot mm-hmm. um it's it's actually gotten a little bit smaller uh it's more in total over the whole year but less we'll talk about it later okay uh but for the first year uh we had cross point church we had um a lot of people and so a lot of people were really excited and they're mm. like wow we have i don't know a banner we have a really good praise team uh we got this speaker mm. like wow this is great um and so i think a lot of people were excited just because there was nothing to compare it to mm. um but if i just go forward to like year two mm-hmm. um year one one of the things that i learned was we did so many things and we had a three-day conference that the volunteers, it was just too much uh, um, yeah. for them to commit, you know, like six, seven, eight days out of the year mm. for this thing. And so we said, fine, like we'll do no worship nights and we'll do just the conference. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the second year we did that. And uh, because we didn't do any ramp up, mm-hmm. like by the time conference came around, like it fell really flat. Uh, um, and so we learned from that. Uh, and actually the second year we didn't go back to cross point. Yeah. Um, financially when we were looking at things, we were like, you know what? Like we have churches and we have resource here. Right. Um, why don't we partner up with churches to do some of this stuff? Um, cause with cross point you needed to pay, right. pay money, right. right. To use their space. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you were to use one of the churches that, yeah. you know, through your relationships through like the board yeah. or whatever um, uh-huh. like they, they they have churches that they people can use right? yeah um that they can open up to right. have a conference in 
So second year, it was at Han Vision, right? Yep. Yeah. Okay. Um, and at Han Vision, uh, we had less people than conference. Number one, because we didn't have the marketing power that we did the first year. We had some KM people come in and just like put us in the TV stuff, wow. radio, uh, newspaper, posters everywhere. Second year, it was literally just word of mouth and maybe mm-hmm. some social media. Mm-hmm. Um, and so our reach was a lot less. But uh, one of the things that I learned second year was, man, we really need to partner with churches because what we don't want to do is just Everest comes in and like, we are now coming to use your church. Um, right. And so uh, one of the things that I think we learned the second year was like, hey, we really want to build a lot of relationships wherever we're going. Mm. Um, and so this year, the third year, uh, we did a lot of relationship building with each of the churches that we went to. Mm. And even still, I think we can still do a lot more. That's one of the things that I think we're learning um, a lot, mm. um, that we can build a lot more relationships and we can you know, really let a lot more churches in and be a part. Because um, you know, I think that's, that's really a beautiful picture to see collaboration happen, mm. um, really being for the local church. Um, and so... Yeah, I, I, this year um, our worship nights we did three. Um, yeah. They were all three were pretty big. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were Call more them a LGI, right? Yeah, let's yeah. get it. Yeah, um, and so those were really big. But then when it got to conference, uh, we did a full day Saturday this year, mm. uh, which is different from what we've done in the past. And because we did one day, we realized Saturday morning. No one really wants to wake up and bring their kids. Mm, <laughs> and right. so uh, this year in the beginning, um, there like there weren't as many people. Mm. Um, but by the end, I mean, there was a good number of people there. But uh, operationally, um, I think we weren't able to execute at as a high of a clip um, as before. And a lot, of, a lot of it, you know, falls on me and just some of the, uh, like, the leadership, you mm-hmm. know. Um, like we, we've all got to be better and I've got to be better. Um, but there are a lot of little things that I feel like, you know, we didn't execute on as best as we probably could have. Um, but all in all, at the end of the day, um, I think it was really amazing kind of the fruit that came out of it. Mm. And so, um, yeah, we got some messages back on, uh, Instagram, uh, saying like, Hey, like I really needed this. Um, some of the people I've talked to, they're like, wow, like I'm being super convicted of some stuff that I need to deal with, um, and things like that. And, you know, I just think there's always something good about churches coming together Mm. and doing something for the region. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I think, I think we're growing and we're learning, um, as we grow. And, uh, you know, I, I think especially with, the region having more and more things, uh, you know, just to give some shout outs like Andy Un with Daniel school, mm-hmm. um, like Joe song, yeah. uh, dear friend of ours. He was on the podcast. Yeah, you know, actually a lot of the people you were mentioning throughout. Yeah. You've been guests on this podcast. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And so, you know, a lot of, a lot, lot of people are doing things for the region yeah. and, uh, you know, I think there's something coming for Atlanta. Um, mm. I think, you know, God's got his eyes on, on Atlanta and, uh, you know, we're, we're going to keep tilling the soil. And Mm. one of the things that I, uh, that I think Namu, uh, pastor John said was, you know, when you're pioneering, when you're trailblazing, uh, it's hard work. Like there's no, there's no path there. Mm. And so you're literally cutting things down. Uh, you're getting all cut up. It's hard. It's dense. Mm. Um, and it's so hard. 
And then the people that come after you are just like, oh, look at the path. And they just walk in this head and that's it. Right. Yeah. And so, you know, if, if what we're doing is we're opening up a path for the next generation to come and really, you know, do amazing things. One of the values at Everest is pass it on. Mm. Um, and so we, we really want our ceiling, the, our generation ceiling to be mm-hmm. the floor of the next generation. Mm. And so, um, you know, I feel like we're, we're, we're doing we're doing a really good job of uh, not just going, mm-hmm. uh, but really thinking and saying, okay, like, how do I steward this? How do we do this well? Yeah. Um, and, you know, some of the operational stuff and things like that, I think there's a lot we can still learn. Mm-hmm. Um, but from a heart position and kind of um, stewarding, um, you know, I'm really excited to see mm-hmm. what's going to happen. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So in listening to kind of your core values as Everest. Yeah. I'm, I'm getting that relationship is uh-huh. paramount, right? Yeah, for sure. Um, but just thinking about the organization of Everest, I yeah. feel like there's a lot of potential friction points. Um, so one is with, you know, board and director. Yeah. Since there's that segregation of title, at least initially. Yeah. Um, I feel like there's potential for um, friction there. Yeah. Um, now that it's kind of more open and more relationship based there might also be potential because like hey why are you doing this thing when i'm supposed to be doing it oh wait you know like you know because like yeah if, if it's unclear there, there might be a little bit of friction there there might be friction amongst churches um especially with like if a church says we'll come out but they end up not showing up uh-huh. um, there might be friction there so i'm just curious are there have you faced any issues relationally um, while running Everest? Um, and if so, how have you overcome them? And if you haven't overcome them, like what has it done uh, to the organization as a whole? Yeah. Oh, man. Again, well, this is this is so good because <laughs> um, this is where like the rubber meets the road. Mm. Um, so yeah, yeah, there's definitely been friction. Mm. Um, there's been friction uh, between generations mm. uh, just because of expectation. So um, first gen, second gen. Yeah, I mean, so, uh, man, so we're so blessed to have, like, first gen blessing. Right. So every Everest event, if you've been to one, you'll notice that there's a first gen pastor that comes in and does the benediction. Mm-hmm. And, th- and that's on purpose because we want to show multiple generations. Yeah. Uh, but um, sometimes, like, there are unspoken expectations or things like that that come mm-hmm. along with things like that. Um, and you know, uh, I think our, at least my position has always been like, man, I'll just bite the bullet. Mm. Like if I don't bite the bullet, then really what happens is my generation loses out and the next generation loses out. And if I don't, if I just do that to the next generation, cause I got treated that way, mm. then I'm just robbing them. And so somebody somewhere has to be willing to submit yet still raise up. Right. Um, and not to say like, Hey, we're doing that. And we're like, we figured it out. Cause we definitely have it. Mm. Um, but I think that's kind of the heart posture that we're going into that with to kind of answer, like, how have we combated it? Mm. Um, our thing is, man, we want to honor the first gen as much as we can. Uh, but yet still stand our ground for what the second gen needs. Right. Um, mm. and so, you know, a lot of times it's kind of like a lose lose, um, where, you know, we give up extra time or we, we do things. Um, but it's all because we think the first gen is paramount to the things we're doing. It's mm. kind of weird, but yeah, yeah. 
uh, a lot of times it's kind of like, oh, okay, I'm just going to go out and do my own thing, or I don't need you, I'm going to go away. Right. Uh, but I actually think there's something really powerful about generations coming together, for sure, uh, doing yeah. it together. And so um, that's one. Uh, board to director was one you mentioned. Yeah, mm-hmm. for sure. Um, at first, I had no expectation of the board to do anything. Mm-hmm. And so there's friction, multiple directions. Board's like, I want to do something. Uh, like, what can I do? Yeah. But then I don't want to do something without having maybe permission to do so. Right, right. And so now I feel like I'm in a place where I can't really do anything. And then the directors, um, they're like, like, why aren't the board helping? Mm. Um, and it's like, well, technically, I didn't ask them to help. Uh, and like, I, I think, uh, you know, it's really easy for some of that, which is why I think over time I've learned man, if we're just like, get rid of titles, like if we're just friends and we just want to do things together, like Mm. it'll actually work out better because there's a base level trust that's there between friends and family. Mm -hmm. Um, And also it kind of sounds like when there is these titles, there's barriers of communication. Right. It's almost like the board needs to talk to you Yeah. for you to talk to the directors. Yeah. So like it it just... It just seems, yeah. But if you're friends and you're just all kind of working together, then you just call them up directly yeah. and it's it's just more efficient and right yeah okay yeah and I, I mean these are all things that you know we learned we learned over time mm. and um but i i think they're very very important things and like if you're listening to this podcast uh and you do have you know like an entrepreneurial spirit or like hey i want to do something yeah uh this is what separates people who are actually going to fulfill it and not mm. um i think there needs to be in every entrepreneur, this uh, optimism and hope mixed with humility mm. and the willingness to learn from failure. Mm. Um, I think a lot of times we value our pride over our curiosity of learning. Mm. Uh, we would much rather just be right with something we said as opposed to constantly being curious, constantly saying, how can this be better? Constantly saying, where am I falling short? Um, and most of the time, if you, if you start something, basically what you're doing is you're putting a magnifying glass on your life. Right. Like any small weakness you have becomes the biggest glaring weakness because now you're under a microscope, microscope. And so, um, in that space, some people get really defensive and they're like, no, like, like, trust me. Mm -hmm. Uh, but I think at least for me and my experience, um, I've seen that the more that I'm able to kind of let go of some of that stuff and say like, okay, like, let me, how can I learn? Mm. Hey, that's, that's on me. Like I I take blame for that and I'll learn from that. I'm sorry. Mm. Um, The more that I'm able to do that, the more that I'm able to grow. And um, you know, it's, it's one thing to say like, I want to succeed now and what I'm doing now needs to be successful Mm. versus like, I'm just going to put brick on top of brick knowing that this will be the Sistine Chapel. Uh, um, it's totally different. If you just tell someone, like, put brick on brick, put put another brick on brick, right. it gets really monotonous and it sucks. Right. Uh, but if you know what's what you're building towards and kind of how God created you and what your, you know, calling is and what your purpose is, like, a lot of the stuff, like, you know, the stuff where it's like, this is what I want to see happen in Atlanta. Yeah. Um, then this is just, this is just the Andy Annie mm. to play, yeah, you know, yeah, and so the, it just changes perspectives on whether you're really short term and constantly worried, like, hey, everyone, like, I'm a success, like, make sure you see me successful, right. as opposed to like, I don't need it to be successful now because mm. 
that will just come uh, with with faithful stewardship mm. um, over time. And, you know, I feel like because I've been fortunate enough to be, have been in so many things where I've seen it start from nothing to something, mm. um, I've, I've just naturally seen that, hey, this is just the natural ebb and flow of anything you create. Yeah. Um, but... Yeah, it's definitely not for the faint of heart. Right. <laughs> wow. So kind of just from this conversation alone, um, yeah. I'm not really, I don't really have that entrepreneurial spirit. <laughs> uh, I, don't, I don't really know how to build things. Uh, you, you have books, you have a podcast. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I mean, I guess I you have. You created a, a child <laughs> <laughs> from scratch. <laughs> yeah, that can be taught. <laughs> That's very specific instruction for that. Uh, but uh, yeah, so just hearing from you, um, what I'm catching is that relationship is paramount. Yeah. The relationship with you, your people, relationship with your market even. Because I feel like that's the reason why your your bookstore was such a success. Yeah. Um, because you had that relationship with the... So uh-huh. My friend's bookstore. Was yeah. It, right? <laughs> Versus the, the campus bookstore. Yeah. The campus bookstore didn't really have the relationship with the students mm-hmm. nor the professors. Right. But you were able to kind of utilize that. Right. Um, with your board game, um, yeah, you, you utilize that to get ideas from people, right. from the creatives that you knew around you. Um, with Everest, that's because Everest is kind of bigger scale yeah. because you're kind of looking at Atlanta as a region that yeah. you want to Im- impact. Mm. There's many more relationships there, but like right. the way that you manage relationships within your team um, and outside, like with the, the first generation that's supporting you, it, that, that all sounds really, really important, right? And, yeah. Um, and even looking at, I mean, your quote-unquote failure with uh, the marketing consulting firm. <laughs> yeah. Um, your, I guess, kind of lack of relationship with the business community uh-huh. of the, the Korean-American culture or, or community, um, that was probably to your detriment because um, you didn't really understand, understand that their skepticism would mm. keep them from investing in this thing that you know is valuable. Right. right. Wow. So with one takeaway for anyone listening um, from this uh, podcast is, you really need to invest in your relationships and yeah. you kind of have to build up from relationships Yeah, and, and relationships can't be something you kind of put in the back burner in your right. mind. Right. Wow. Man, you know, with Thanksgiving coming up and everything, yeah. I, I don't know when this is going to be released, but we're recording the day before Thanksgiving. Yeah, yeah. I'm so thankful mm-hmm. for you um, because I feel like you have such a gift of really analyzing and listening like you listen so well, like I, I just throwing it and what, but really like when I listen to the podcast and just kind of listen to you, I'm just so thankful for your willingness to listen and you're like genuinely listening. Mm. Like you're not, you know, like, Hey, here's the schedule and here's what we're going to talk about. And let me keep you on the road. You're mm. genuinely listening and you're able to really analyze things and really, you know, um, chew it down for people and, yeah, with Thanksgiving coming up, yeah. you know, I just wanted to be like, hey, man, thanks for thanks for doing this. Oh, thank you. Thanks for saying <laughs> that. That's really encouraging. Yeah. No, no, and thank you for everything that you're doing for uh, the Atlanta region. For nah, dude. Korean Americans. <laughs> Appreciate it. Yeah. No, it's uh, 
really excited to see what Everest is going to continue to do. Mm. Um, and not even just Everest, but with your other ventures. I'm, I'm yeah. just Because I know Everest isn't going to be the last thing that you do. <laughs> Probably I, not. If I know you, there's yeah. going to be many more things to come. So I'm just really excited to see um, how you like handle those things in the future and like the fruits that, that come from those things. Yeah, so, that's awesome. Know, Thanks so much for coming on today. Uh, yeah. And, and I know, uh, hey, you're, you're much closer now. So yes. So we can do this more often. Yes, all the time, please. Be- yeah, before you were at the battery, <laughs> so you're, you're kind of far. But um, yes. yeah, th- thanks for coming. Was there, was there anything that uh, I didn't talk about that you wanted to cover? Today? Um, No, not really. I mean, just quick, uh, quick couple of other things. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I do want to plug Four Points. Um, I, I was at Four Points, which was a startup like a church plant mm-hmm. and being able to see that from the ground up and uh, you know, shout outs to pastor Peter, uh, pastor Andrew, mm. uh, pastor Sam pack, who's there now. And um, Abe, Yeah, <laughs> I, I guess pastor Abe just sounds <laughs> yeah, weird to say. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, that all of those experiences were absolutely amazing. And then servants um, mm. shout out to Joe song uh, with all, all that he's doing. Um, with gathering leaders in the area. Uh, those are also things that, you know, I've been able to witness from the ground up. And you're right, even in those, it's all relationship first. Yeah. And so um, just a couple of other shout outs. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> no, yeah. You know, actually, I want to tack on there um, with uh, Pastor Andrew at Four Points. Yeah. So I, I don't really know him personally. Yeah. But I feel like I do because I listen to his podcast. Yes. Um, um, I, I don't, I haven't seen a new episode in a while, but yeah, their story is amazing. Oh my goodness, yeah. Wow. Is it, yeah. And now that I'm a, a father, it's just, yeah, if, dude. if you guys haven't, I don't want to give anything away, um, but their story is an incredible story. Go find them on, I think, Google podcast, uh, Apple, Apple podcast, yeah. most of the major platforms, right? I believe so. Yeah. Yeah. Go find the growing family. Yeah. Um, and their yeah, their first episode is a gut punch. Of, yeah. Uh, it's just emotions. Andrew and Mimi song. They're yeah. amazing. Yeah. Amazing people. Um, I would call them my podcast inspirations because. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Because like, yeah, they're local people that their podcast and I'm sure they affected a lot of people with their stories. So, yeah. Shout outs to them. Go, <laughs> go listen to their podcast. Um, guys, if, if any of what we talked about today resonated with you or if you want to pick Jonathan's brain about any kind of entrepreneurial questions that you may have, please feel, feel free to email me at ihthtpodcast at gmail.com. That's I hope they hear this abbreviated or comment or DM me on Instagram at I hope they hear this or you can tweet me on Twitter. Hey, yeah, it's a new thing. Um, <laughs> Yeah, it's it's just IHTHT podcast. Um, any of those ways, uh, mediums you can use to to uh, contact me, give give us any feedback, whatever you want to say, and I will relay any anonymous messages to Jonathan. And I don't know, this is experimental, so I don't know if it's hap- if if it's going to happen or not. But we are uh, recording this. Uh, there's a <laughs> there's a video, uh, um, and so. Yeah, I'm going to try to see if, if I can put this on, on YouTube. Wow. Yeah, if not, then I'm going to keep playing with it. And maybe in a future episode, I'll, I'll get it right. But yeah, keep keep your eye, on, eye out on that. I haven't even set up a YouTube page yet, so I can't I can't plug it. Just, uh, <laughs> just search, uh, I hope they hear this, and, and hopefully it'll pop up. Yeah, so <laughs> thank you guys so much for listening, and uh, we'll talk to you next week. Bye. Bye.